Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stocks cutting their losses through the session, though the Nasdaq is still under heavy pressure after Snap sent shockwaves across the market. The most important hour of trading starts right now. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Mike Santoli. Sarah Eisen is on assignment in Davos. Here's where things stand in the markets. As you said, it came back from uh, the lows about down 2.5% on the S&P 500 at the lows. The Dow had been down over 500 points. It's ground its way back. Uh, you know, for the last nine sessions, the S&P has uh, kind of stabbed below the 3,900 level. It's never closed below there. It's never closed down 20%. So, so far, that remains intact. Check out the biggest decliners right now in the NASDAQ 100, though. Still kind of the epicenter of the selling. See Dexcom down 12.5%. DocuSign, a lot of those pandemic cloud favorites. Datadog, Pinduoduo, and Splunk. All of them down more than 9% on the day. We have a great lineup to help you navigate this wild market, including Nancy Tangler from Laffer Tangler Investments, Sandy Pomeroy from Newberger Berman, Chris Harvey from Wells Fargo, Hightower Stephanie Link, and tech analyst Rohit Kokarni. We will start with that profit warning from Snap that sent those shares into freefall. CEO Evan Spiegel said the company will miss its own target for revenue and adjusted earnings, saying the macro environment has deteriorated further and faster than anticipated. Joining us now via phone is Michael Nathanson, Moffat Nathanson, founding partner and senior research analyst. Michael, I uh, appreciate you calling in. Great to, uh, to kind of get your take on this. So Snap says it's the macro environment, you know, to some degree echoes what we've heard in some, from some consumer companies that things really did slow down sharply in the last month or six weeks. But can we take that on face value that this is really what's happening in the digital ad market as it uh, regards Snap? Yeah, you know, I think it is. I think it's a combination of e-commerce slowing down, you know, retail slowing down, the consumer on the low end being hurt. It's all wrapped together and really killing Snap in terms of what they're seeing. You know, uh, is there anything about Snap, its particular franchise, its place within the digital ad ecosystem, its exposure to, you know, the, the, the TikTok audience, if there's overlap there, that maybe means it's a little bit worse for Snap in terms of advertisers deciding to tighten budgets and leaving them uh, on the outside? Yeah, Mike, that, those are great, great questions. So let's, let's, let's frame it. The biggest risk you have is brand, brand advertising, because brand advertising is uh, it's hard to prove, right? So when things slow down, brand gets cut. Snap has exposure to brand. The, the safest place is search, because search is intention. They've got no search. What they focus on is that young audience, right? And that, if that young audience goes without clicking to buy something, um, they're really at risk, right? So your point, it's not a bellwether by any means. It's a great it's a great reflection on kind of a mini audience, but I wouldn't read that across the search. I wouldn't read that all to Facebook, right? I think it's a snap problem uh, because of its narrowness of its niche, right? I, I totally agree. That question makes a ton of sense to me. 
Yeah, and I guess, you know, we have uh, Meta down, you know, 9%. It's still a little bit above its lows. Clearly, there's a much bigger earnings base there. And when it, when it comes to Snap yep. financially, I mean, clearly, you know, it's, it's generally been losing money. There's a lot of, you know, stock-based compensation issuance. It seems like it really needed very rapid top-line growth to make the model fully work and justify the valuation. Where do you sit with that right now? Yeah, so that's I agree with that too. That it's a bad on me. We uh, you know, we've been very skeptical about Roku and Twitter because those companies really don't earn anything. They don't have a lot of lot, no, they don't have strong cash flow. We thought Snap could outrun its um, its cost base and its stock based comp. You know, we really believe that the company could compound growth at a very high rate the next few years. They are un, they're under monetized relative to their peers. So we've been on the bullish side of that trade, obviously terribly wrong. And to your point, the risk you have now is if it's slowing down to these levels, there's no valuation support, right? There's 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 no cash flow, there's no earnings power. Um, it's really a, a growth story that has to be a prove it to me story. And to your point, it can keep falling because there's no there's no earnings support here. Biggest difference. And yeah, I mean, is there anything that you know would you expect Snap to be doing strategically to to try to get around this, or is it just about you know maybe cutting back on costs and waiting for uh, for things to firm up? Yeah, you, you know, you heard. I think you saw in the memo that Evan Spiegel outlined slowing down spending, looking to be more more thoughtful on on expenses. Um, you have to do that, right? So the problem they have is that. To your point, the cost structure is based on a vision of forward growth that's not achievable right now. Um, Mm -hmm. There's not much they can do. You know, they can't cut their way to profitability. They need to invest in growth. So to me, it's just it really lengthens the timeline to be rewarded by owning Snap. You have to wait now through whatever cycle we're going to see to get to the other side. I totally, you know, the selling is probably overdone. But I get the mood of the market. I understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and now you have to be proven, you know, that there's growth here. And you have to wait, you know, two, three, four quarters from here to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and just quickly, yeah. uh, you covered the traditional media companies as well. Anything to cause you to rethink digital or general ad trends there? Yeah, well, we've been channel checking. And we've been hearing about, you know, we had a conference last week. And all the companies presented said they didn't see anything in April. But but what what we're you know what we were worried about is a slowdown in June, right? So no one wanted to go ahead to June. So our challenge checks are kind of suggesting that the quarter may end a little bit softly. So mm-hmm. you know this data point and because TV is more about brand, but I think there's just realistic concern about what it means for TV and for broader media. I think we'll find out more by the end of June whether or not this is going to hit other companies as well. Yep, uh, have to monitor that. Uh, Michael, again, thanks yep. very much. Appreciate the time, Michael. Of course, right. After the break, we'll talk about the renewed pressure in the market and whether or not you should buy the dips when we're joined by Nancy Tengler from Laffer Tengler and Sandy Pomeroy from Newberger Berman. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magic. 
stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Let's check out today's stealth mover, Insulet, the company which makes an automated insulin device, is reportedly in talks to be acquired by Dexcom, which makes glucose monitoring systems. The deal will create a huge player in the diabetes treatment industry. You see their insulin up a little more than 6%, with Dexcom giving up almost 12%. Take a look at the S&P sector heat map. Tech, consumer discretionary, and services getting hit the hardest today. Utilities and staples are holding gains as the overall market actually claws back. The S&P only down a little more than 1% at the moment. Joining us now is Nancy Tangler of Laffer Tangler Investments and Sandy Pomeroy of Newberger Berman. Uh, thanks for, uh, to you both for being here. Uh, Nancy, you know, obviously the, 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 the inflation panic has morphed to some degree into a full-on growth scare. I mean, obviously consumer cyclicals getting hit pretty hard, people concerned uh, about exactly what uh, we might be looking at in terms of potential recession. Does that seem well-grounded to you? Does it explain how the market's acting? Well, yes, I think it does explain it, Mike, and thanks so much for having me. I mean, we, you and I have had this conversation for the last year that we were going to slow in 2022. I mean, that is just the math. We knew this. But I think what you're seeing now is this extrapolation of recent data out to infinity. So we have a negative GDP print, which was driven largely by an increase, a dramatic increase in imports as we unclogged the ports. And that had a negative effect on GDP of 3.2%. If that, if that were backed out, you would have seen a 1.8% rise in GDP. But underneath the, the numbers as well, you saw a strong consumer, and you saw consumers saving to the tune of $1.2 And that was against $1.39, I think, in the fourth quarter, uh, when transfer payments were still in place. So the, mm -hmm. the historical data is not as bad as, as is being uh, stated. And I hear people sort of say with impunity, oh, we had negative GDP in the first quarter. But there was mm -hmm. a lot of good that was going on underneath, including an earnings season. Uh, with real companies uh, that that was pretty darn good, uh, as witnessed by them raising their dividends. So I'm happy to use yeah. this as an opportunity to step in and buy the higher quality names for the next three to five years. Sandy, uh, you focus uh, on dividend stocks, equity income fund uh, mainly, and that, they've held up re rather well. In fact, better than uh, other companies that, you know, more focus on buybacks. Do you, do you expect that this, this type of environment, which is going to foster our performance of dividend stocks, is going to continue? What are you finding in terms of, I guess, what you have to pay uh, for, for some of the, the favored names? 
Yeah, so we've been running an equity income fund for 25 years. My team has run the same strategy for uh, that long, so we have a lot of experience in this area. These stocks were uh, as cheap as they were back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, during the tech wreck that happened back then. We were at the same position at the beginning of this year. They were very, very cheap. And so I think that because they were cheap to begin with and they've got growing dividends because free cash flow is growing and they are cheap. You have all those things combining together to set them up to be very good investments during this more inflationary period where the growth is a little less certain and you know that you're going to get a good return, a dividend return plus the free cash flow growth. Are there areas, Sandy, that you're finding, you know, stocks come into your zone in terms of valuation or dividend yield or anything else just because of the market volatility? Absolutely. Uh, so we have done a couple of things. I mean, we, we run our screens every week looking for mm-hmm. companies that have sold off where all of a sudden a high-quality name like, say, a Home Depot, for example, which uh, had uh, traded down at its heights below 2% dividend yield, all of a sudden has a dividend yield that's closer to 2.5%. That's very mm-hmm. interesting to us. We also have taken advantage of the volatility and written puts against many high-quality names where we not only get the premium from the put, but we are able to, if we have the stock put to us, uh, acquire the stock with a dividend yield that meets our criteria. So we're able to you know, target that 3% total um, investment income return that's on our fund, plus another, you know, call it 3 to 5% appreciation on top of that for a total return of 7 to 9%, which is what we're targeting. Nancy, you mentioned uh, your willingness to, to, to buy some of the higher quality ideas for three to five years. Uh, what's come into uh, that strike zone for you? Yeah, so some of the same names that, that uh, Sandy mentioned. Um, we do. We have been shifting our portfolios over the last quarter. So we added to Microsoft and Taiwan Semi both dividend payers, but we exited Starbucks and moved those uh, holdings or those assets into McDonald's. We added to Philip Morris. We added to a non-dividend payer in a different strategy, uh, Chipotle, and then we exited 3M and we added to the defense names in the first quarter as well as Steel Dynamics, and uh, we also added a position in public. Storage. All of these are dividend growers, and that that's important, Mike, because the dividend growth has been material. We've seen you know companies come in uh, like at EOG Resources with three special dividends and a doubling of their existing dividend. But then there's Steel Dynamics, a steel company that raised the dividend 20% last quarter. And so those are the names that we look for. I too, uh, I'm older, I think, than Sandy. I've been running equity income portfolios since 1984, and uh, they're not always the the star of show, but they are a great workhorse when you're in an environment like this. Yeah, uh, I guess part of the argument for why uh, dividend growth stocks can do uh, well with inflation uh, higher, guys. So thank you very much, Nancy and Sandy. Appreciate it. Let's check the markets now. Uh, The S&P 500 down less than 50 points at the moment, 1.2%. The Dow not too far from the flat line there, down one-fifth to 1%. The Nasdaq still where a lot of the pain is, down 2.8%. The Russell 2000 also suffering down 2%. Abercrombie & Fitch is the latest retailer to fall out of bed on the back of earnings, losing a third of its value today. We'll talk to retail industry expert Gerald Storch who says a revolution is required to turn around some of America's best-known companies. As we head to break, check out some of today's top search tickers on CNBC.com. Snap, no surprise, getting the most interest, followed by the 10-year Treasury yield, which is lower, the NASDAQ, Meta, and Tesla. We'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Shares of Abercrombie tumbling after reporting a first quarter earnings loss and cutting its sales outlook for the year. The company said freight and product costs weighed on sales. The stock is on pace for its worst day ever, going back to its IPO in 1996. Other retail stocks like American Eagle, Urban Outfitters also falling in sympathy with Abercrombie. Joining us now is Jerry Storch, CEO of Storch Advisors and former Toys R Us CEO. Jerry, great to have you. Uh, to kind of sort through really a tangle of issues here that's affecting uh, these retailers. So on the one hand, you know, a little bit of maybe consumer fatigue, but overlaying all that, you know, the big box stores ending up with too much inventory. Maybe they were too good at getting uh, shipments uh, when we thought it was going to be all really particularly tough. And then I guess maybe some strategic blunders along the way, too. How do you assign responsibility for what we're seeing in retail among those issues? Look, uh, I think people are conflating different issues as if it's all one thing. First of all, the consumer is clearly healthy. I can't give you a warranty on that, Mike, for the rest of the year into next year. But for now, the consumer is healthy. They're just spending it in different ways, including at these retailers, by the way. They don't know what you paid for things. And just because your margin's trash, they don't know that. So they're still spending money in stores. They're still spending money out of stores. They have shifted, you know, away from spending things for their homes where they were spending all their time cocooning to spending for, for products that are more related to going out and living a life. Nevertheless, consumers, fundamentally healthy. Anyone who says any of this data from the retailers says anything else is not paying attention. One. Two, there are real supply chain issues and inflation issues. And different retailers have done better or worse at that. But they aren't all the same. So people talk like Target and Walmart as if the results were identical. I mean, they were hugely different. I'd so much rather be Walmart right now than Target. Why? Target's issues where they bought the wrong products. They have huge amounts. They're way over inventory. Their gross margin deteriorated by over 400 basis points in the quarter. You know, Walmart's gross margin deteriorated by 38 basis points, less than one-tenth as much. Both, both companies had supply chain issues, but they're going to fix those. Trust me. Being over inventory, that's a disaster. That's where Target is. Walmart is not there. Many other companies we've seen, like TJ Maxx, didn't have any problem with any of this. They managed their way through it. Finally, there are other companies that are, they, the strategies just stink. They've been wrong for decades. They were wrong before the pandemic. They're wrong now. They'll be wrong forever. Look at the department stores, a Macy's, even Nordstrom's. What a great name, you know, a Nordstrom, a Kohl's. You know, take a look at Bed Bath & Beyond. These companies, you know, hit their peaks a decade ago. Many of them, their stocks now are at the same levels they were at in the 1990s. They've been dead, dead money the whole time. Yeah. Don't they see that what they're doing is not working? 
Well, when it comes to a Macy's, did they not make some progress on Omnichannel during the pandemic? Wasn't there a sense out there that, you know, we use the, the, the stores themselves as distribution centers and, and it seemed to get some traction? And then Kohl's, you know, very cheap stock. Nobody's saying that they're killing it, but somebody wants to buy the company here. Hey, they've done some, some good things. They're smart people. They've worked hard. But it's three yards in a cloud of dust when they need to be throwing some Hail Marys here. They need to fundamentally change the nature of the business. Their customer is, is you know, generations away from today's customer. You know, it's grandmothers and it's, you know, it's old people that are shopping these. I'm sorry. These, these companies do not have today's millennial who are going, I want to go to Macy's. Oh, my gosh. I want to go to Kohl's. That's just not mm-hmm. happening anymore. I'm sorry. So they really need to think about who they're going to be in the future. Instead, they're thinking about who they used to be, and they can, can they make it a little better, add a little Internet sauce to it, you know, and change where they are. But it's tinkering, and that won't change one thing. They're only going to go backwards. Well, in terms of, you know, companies that are targeting younger people who don't remember the 90s, I mean, Abercrombie, we just talked about. Obviously, you know, whether they're doing it right or not, uh, that is the, the, the demo there. Is it just a clothing yeah. issue right now that we have to just sort of go through Look, this mall, lull in demand mall- for apparel? Mall-based specialty apparel has been dead for a long time, and it will continue mm-hmm. to be dead. Uh, Abercrombie, their stock hit their all-time high in 2007. Okay? The, the, kid, yeah. the kids that were shopping there now, they're parents now. You know, they're not kids anymore. They're, and the, the, they were at the same level of stocks at today in 1997. It's yesterday's news. I can't even believe we're talking about it. It's not even worth a billion-dollar market cap. It's dead money, you know, where it is. Small-based special apparel is not where these people want to shop. They want to shop on the Internet, online. Look at Revolve. You want to see a cool, a cool shop, a cool site, where they're shopping mm-hmm. now? That's where they're shopping now. Jerry, appreciate the, uh, the sharp-edged thoughts today. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Uh, up next, Wells Fargo Securities Head of Equity Strategy Chris Harvey reveals where he sees value in this volatile environment. And don't miss a special report on the technology sector tonight at 6 p.m. when John Fort hosts a CNBC special, Trading Tech. Markets in the red, although well off the lows of the session. The Nasdaq taking the brunt of the pain today, down more than 2.5% still as the sell-off deepens there. Where can investors find opportunity? Joining us now, Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Head of Equity Strategy. Uh, Chris, good to see you. Uh, you know, we've, we've done a fair bit of work, I guess, uh, that needed to be done <laughs> on the downside, you would expect. You know, S&P down just about 20 percent, not quite. NASDAQ down 30 percent. I think the average NASDAQ stock down 50. Uh, S&P multiple from 22 to 16 and change. Is it enough? I, I think so. So today, Mike, something about today, and maybe it's just a feel, I, I'm not really sure. But today, I'm actually encouraged for the first time in a long time. You're right. We're off the lows. But more importantly, the market's beginning to discriminate. In addition to that, you're beginning to see rates react. Rates are going down. And one of our mantras, one of our comments is, when equities go down, usually stock prices and bond yields don't go down together forever because it's a self-correcting mechanism, right? Stocks go down, you start to create more value. Bonds go down, and your discounting mechanism makes your terminal value higher, and all of a sudden, we find a bottom. And that's what we're beginning to see. 
Also, you're getting encouraging news out of, out of the J.P. Morgans of the world. You're getting encouraging news from some of the Fed officials. Yesterday, they talked about it, or I think maybe even today, they talked about, hey, when we get to 2%, maybe we need to look around. We need to think about what we're going to do going forward. And we need to see if inflation expectations come, are coming down. And, and they are beginning to come down. So I'm actually encouraged for the first time in a while. We still tell people to buy stocks, not the stock market. But I think this price action, even though we are down over a percent, is actually encouraging. Would you hope to see, you know, some of the other, I guess, uh, sort of dominoes fall in this process of of trying to kind of make the market outlook more realistic, such as earnings estimates uh, being cut down or or even, you know, you hear a lot of people saying they would want to see another climactic flush lower or something tactical that says that we've gotten to further extremes. So, so, Mike, coming into this year, we were at 47.15. So coming into the year, we we're third or fourth lowest on the street after being the bull on the street last year. And we we're expecting a 10 percent correction. We got that and more. And the reason why we were, we were somewhat, somewhat negative coming into the years, we thought you needed multiple compression. You got that. We thought interest rates and especially real rates needed to normalize. You got that. We thought that the Fed had to get motion whether it's related to the um, to the balance sheet or it's related to raising rates. That's been happening. And now with that 20, 15, 20 percent pullback, depending on what part of the market you have uncovered value. And the last the two last things we needed to see, we needed to see rates come down and we needed to see some softening of the Fed rhetoric, which is what we seem to be getting in the short term. So I think there's a lot more value out there. It is actually encouraging. It's actually encouraging because you're not also seeing indiscriminate selling like you were for a few days over the last couple of weeks. And that's telling me that, that things are getting better. And, and your last point about some some sort of cathartic puke or, or some sort of big washout day, one of the things we will point to is MSCI's rebalancing at the end of the month, end of the quarter. And if you have the opportunity or, or if you need to reposition, that's the time to reposition. So I'm not quite sure you're going to see another big volume day because there's going to be a massive volume day on the 31st. And if you have to reposition your book, and some people do, that's the time I think it's going to occur. Yeah, that's that rebalance, I mean, it's going to affect a lot of different types of portfolios. But what specifically do you think the opportunity, yeah. you know, is going to be that's created? Well, uh, a couple things. So we are seeing the momentum index rebalance, and it's just a wholesale change. Um, yeah. What you're beginning to see is more the defensives become mo stocks. You're begin- beginning to see energy become mo. And I think the real opportunity is with energy. I think there's a spot for energy in a lot of portfolios, whether it's an inflation hedge, um, whether it's because they've improved their balance sheets and they are more quality, or because they're one of the few sectors where you're seeing uh, margins expand, not contract. Gotcha. Chris, we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks a lot for joining. All right. Thank you. All right, and here's where we stand in the markets right now. Uh, less than a half hour to the close. You see the S&P 500 down about 41, so down just a little more than 1%. NASDAQ still getting hurt uh, by the, the growth tech selling down 2.6%. The Dow been flirting with the flat line just below it right now, and the Russell 2000 down about 2%. Monkeypox cases continue to rise around the world. Up next, a look at which companies make vaccines to fight this virus and how their stocks have been faring. As we head to a break, check out the home builders. They're getting hit hard today after new home sales fell in April by more than 26% year over year. That's the slowest sales pace since 2020. We'll be right back. 
More than 131 cases of monkeypox have been confirmed globally. The World Health Organization says the outbreak is containable, although it is unclear whether a surge in cases is on the horizon. Meg Terrell joins us for a look at which vaccine makers are able to target this virus. Hi, Meg. Hey, Mike. Well, the good news here is that there are already vaccines that exist for monkeypox, mainly because we had them for smallpox. So a very different situation than we were in at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Uh, there is one uh, vaccine that's cleared both for smallpox and monkeypox in the United States. It's made by a company called Bavarian Nordic. Then there's another smallpox vaccine that's older. It's now sold by Emergent Biosolutions. You can see both of those stocks have had quite big run-ups over the last week as we've had all these news of more cases mounting. We spoke with Bavarian Nordic CEO this morning about the kinds of incoming inquiries they're getting from governments around the world about their vaccine. Here's what he said. It's been crazy, to be honest. We've been inundated with calls. We're trying to work with the authorities in different countries to try and help them deal with the current situation. We're ramping up production as we speak, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to provide doses Now, there are also a couple drugs out there for smallpox, some of which are cleared also for monkeypox, at least one of which is. That's made by Sega Technologies. You can see that stock up almost 30% over the last week. Chimerics, a very small market cap company, uh, had a drug for smallpox that it then sold to Emergent Biosolutions. That one had seen quite a run-up, although it's come back a bit uh, as well. And the main names that we know from COVID, Mike, they're not completely sitting this one out. Moderna tweeting this week that it is investigating in the early stages potential monkeypox vaccines. Uh, and Regeneron I reached out to as well. They say they're following the situation closely and evaluating whether there's a role for monoclonal antibodies here too. So this is something the drug industry is watching very closely, Mike. Well, it's good to hear there are uh, options out there, Meg. Thank you very much. Uh, as the, uh, the Dow has turned positive, actually, it's up over 100 points at the moment. But Snap remains in free fall and on pace for its worst day ever after a profit warning. Up next, an analyst who just cut his price target on the stock but still thinks it's a buy. That story plus a check on the chips and why cruise stocks are sinking when we take you inside the market zone. We are now in the closing bell market zone. Hightower chief investment strategist Stephanie Link is here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, MKM partners Rohit Kalkarni on Snap's sell-off and Sima Modi on the fall for travel stocks. Stocks climbing into the close with the Dow turning positive in the last few minutes. The Nasdaq, though, still under selling pressure, down more than 2 percent. Steph, we're uh, obviously seeing a little bit of uh, discernment here in terms of uh, what investors are willing to buy the dip in. Uh, a little more downside follow through for the Nasdaq. Other things finding traction. We still haven't had that down 20 percent close. How do you read it in terms of uh, today and how we're absorbing these new growth fears? It tells me how much uh, technology and comm services are still over-owned, Mike, right? Because they're the ones that are getting hit the hardest, and for good reason. Snap was really a, a, a big surprise for, for just about everybody. But, look, I think that we're in just really challenging times. I've been saying, like, we're going to be in a choppy environment all year long, right, be uh, because there's so many unknowns. We've talked about them, Fed, inflation, war, China, et cetera. 
The reactions that we're getting, though, are so extreme. If, they, if any company misses, it's really just mind-boggling. But there are a lot of moving parts, as I mentioned, a lot of unknowns. Um, there's chatter about recession, which I think are very premature. Um, what I'm looking at is um, the last two weeks, what did we learn from these companies? What happened in April? What happened in April is the consumer changed their behavior from goods to services. We had two big box retailers, Walmart and Target, double and triple order back in December of the wrong stuff. So there's tons of inventory. And that's why it was such a big surprise, because these are really well-run companies. But we also learned that inflation and higher interest rates are hurting not only the consumer, but these companies, too. They weren't prepared. Um, all of this wrapped up. April also showed us that the economy is still on solid footing, Mike. I heard you and mm -hmm. Nancy Tangler talking about the GDP report. I totally agree with, with that. Inside the GDP report, services was up 4.3%. But we also had good retail sales numbers. They grew 8.2%. Industrial production rose 6.4%. Capacity mm -hmm. utilization was up. So to me, the economy is still solid. Is it slowing? Yes, it absolutely is slowing. But that was the premise that we talked about back in January. We knew 2022 was going to be a slower growth year. I still think it's mm -hmm. growth, though. Maybe it's 2%, but I still think it's growth. At the same time, I still think inflation is going to stay high as well. So these are the challenges that the market's going through. Yeah, these, these are expected trends, but obviously uh, maybe sometimes painful to build them into the market. Let's move on to Snap here. Shares getting pummeled down more than 40% today. The company warning it won't hit its revenue and earnings numbers for the current quarter. That's bringing down other ad-related names as well, like Meta, Roku, and Pinterest. Joining us now is Rohit Kolkarni, MKM Partners Internet Analyst. Uh, Rohit, what can we take from the Snap warning here about its own position in the, in the ad ecosystem and, and whether, in fact, we've sort of misjudged how levered uh, this company was to the macro environment? Uh, hey, um, I think what Snap told us yesterday was essentially um, there is slowdown, but we still don't know. Their commentary was very vague and unclear how broad-based of a slowdown uh, they are seeing. Uh, E-commerce, we know, is slowing down. Online gaming is slowing down, streaming is slowing down, mobile gaming is slowing down. All these things is where Snap plays the most. And and whether that is applicable to everybody else in the industry, it remains to be seen. Today's reaction feels that market believes that, okay, across the board, everybody else is slowing down. So let's just uh, shoot first and think later. Um, I think that leads us to more opportunities as we digest what, what has happened in May, what will happen in June. Probably there may be a realization that there is a slowing down. There could be a tale of two, two cities here. There could be slowing down in certain pockets in Internet land, where a certain pockets in Internet land may start to actually act better. You know, uh, I think the, the big picture fear, perhaps, uh, that, mm -hmm. that kind of shadows this entire market is a version of what happened after 2000. And not just the valuations uh, came down a lot, but also that, you know, tech startups, couldn't raise more capital or they were tightening their belts and one company's spending is another company's revenue. And there was a little bit of a downward spiral in the fundamentals as the stocks uh, kept going down. Is there anything across your Internet coverage to suggest that we have this dynamic replaying? Uh, obviously, we will start seeing that there is there is going to be a lag effect in there. Uh, startups tend to buy first uh, advertising on Facebook, Instagram, and Google, and startups tend to buy cloud computing on Google and Amazon Web Services. Those are the two kind of 40 to 50 percent of the costs that startups tend to have outside of uh, hiring engineers. So we'll probably start seeing that 
later Q4, maybe uh, early Q1 next year. That is that is probably going to happen. But in the meanwhile, I think, as Stephanie said, we are in this price discovery mode of what uh, say 10 times price to sales is going to look like in this high inflation, high uh, interest rate environment. We haven't seen that in the last 20 years, to be honest. So uh, that is what is going on right now, where the 10 times price to sales is going to be like a 30 times EBITDA. So there are some there are some ways to go for some companies. Uh, given uh, they're burning cash, they still have negative operating margins. They're issuing a lot of stock-based comps. So there is there is still going to be more volatility, even if the macro environment turns out to be not yeah. as bad as feared. Rohit, thanks very much. Snap uh, now down about 85% from its highs. Chip stocks are dragging on the overall tech sector today as well, down more than 2% into the close. Micron. No exception. One of the worst performers in the group today. Sarah sat down with Micron CEO Sanjay Mirotra in Davos today, and he gave a bullish outlook for Micron amid supply chain challenges. I think overall supply chain is getting better for semiconductor availability, but it is not out of the woods yet. I expect it to continue to get better. Some of the shortages may still last into 2023, particularly on some of the foundry capacity as well as some of the analog legacy kind of nodes. Steph, uh, Micron, uh, you know, down by a third. I mean, probably in line with many other semi companies. It always looks cheap. You know, it's uh, super cyclical. How would you play it here, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I think what he said about supply chain is very consistent with what other technology companies CEOs were saying. Intel said not until end of 23, maybe 24. IBM said n- n- a couple more years. Um, the uh, uh, Cisco, uh, Chuck Robbins said probably end of 23. So the point is, I don't think any of these CEOs really know. I don't think it's impossible to know. Uh, but it's going to take a while. And this leads us back to the inflation story, why it's going to remain elevated, because I don't think that the Fed raising rates even to the neutral rate, whatever that number is, is going to be impactful to inflation. So we have to live with it. I thought actually his comments about memory and storage and it being a secular grower was sort of interesting because, again, they have uh, exposure to AI, 5G, data center and that sort of thing. So if this were to come down a lot more, um, I I might take a look at it because the total addressable market is going to be a $332 billion total addressable market by 2030, up from 260 today. All right. Uh, Meanwhile, don't miss more coverage from Davos tomorrow on CNBC, including Sarah's interview with Salesforce Salesforce chairman and co-CEO Mark Benioff. That's at 10 a.m. Eastern time on Squawk on the Street. It has been a tough day and a month for retail stocks. The S&P retail ETF down more than 3 percent in today's session. The worst performer is Abercrombie after reporting an unexpected loss for the first quarter and giving a slower outlook. It is the latest retailer to get hit hard. Last week saw Target and Walmart sell off after a week of the expected results. Joining us now is Oppenheimer uh, and Company's Brian Nagel uh, to talk about some of these trends. Brian, good to speak with you. Uh, what's your, your main takeaway from, let's say, what Target, Walmart, Best Buy had to say? We knew there was going to be a shift away from goods purchases towards services. Uh, obviously, there's inventory issues. And uh, how is that filtered into your outlook? Well, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Look, I think Stephanie brought up uh, you know, the, the perfect point, and that's what's happening here is as the economy is moving away from the COVID-19 pandemic, 
consumer spending is shifting. You know, we, we, we started talking to our clients about this you know, a couple of years ago. We were obviously very early with the call, but nonetheless, it's happening. And I think, you know, right now, from an investor standpoint, you know, the market is very much on recession watch. And any signal of weakness from any retailer or brand is being taken as an indication the consumer is slowing. But I oftentimes, as I'm looking at this data, I think that, at least initial interpretation, is probably not correct. I think the underlying consumer here is in good shape, but you're definitely seeing shifts in consumer spending as the economy moves away from the pandemic. Uh, We see Best Buy actually able to uh, stay green today. It's up about 1% on the back of its uh, its results. And, you know, they were mixed, I suppose, but it's all about what was already priced into the stock down by nearly half. Is that encouraging at all? Does it in- imply something about how, uh, you know, these stocks have already uh, accounted for some of these issues? I think it does. You know, I think there's a lot now, I think, that's discounted in these stocks. I think, look, I looked at Best Buy and the note we put out to our clients. We basically said the title, it's, it was soft, but it was very much better than feared. And the, the big issue for Best Buy is they were here in Q1 of 22, you know, they were lapping an extraordinarily strong Q1 of 21, which was fueled by, you know, you still had these, these trends, so to say, you know, the stay-at-home type trend was still in place, but probably more important than that was stimulus-fueled spending. You know, so on top of that, you know, Best Buy sales were weak, but they actually held up better than feared. Steph, um, I mean, as you pick through these, right, Target's gotten very little relief after its, you know, shocking uh, drop on its news. You see Abercrombie today. Is there is you catching any of these falling knives, I guess, is the question. No, I'm not. Um, I am. I mean, I own Target. I'm just going to let the dust settle on that one because uh, I think it's going to take them a time for them to kind of uh, fix this inventory, 75 days of inventory. But who benefits from that is TJX. And that stock is still down 20 percent on the year. It trades about 18 times earnings. They benefit from all of this excess inventory. And they had a very good quarter. And they actually raised their margin forecast because they have a, a pricing initiative underway that actually is working. And this is a treasure hunt, right? It's also a bit of a reopen. People want to go to the store. And they do have housing exposure, which I also think uh, will stay strong um, and uh, the comps will will remain elevated. Uh, Brian, thanks a lot for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, Travel stocks are significantly underperforming the broader market and the cruise line stocks getting hit especially hard in all that. Seema Modi joins us. Seema, so why are travel stocks underperforming so much today? We thought this was a problem with good spending. Yeah, well, clearly not, Mike. Travel getting caught up in the broader sell-off in consumer-facing names. It follows that disappointing guidance from Best Buy and other retailers. Even though Marriott CEO told CBC today that bookings are holding up, it's the concern around what happens post-summer. Now, as you said, the cruise line's among the worst performers today. It's one of the reasons I'm told by sources that Carnival is in preliminary talks to sell one of its cruise brands. Seaborn, one suitor, is the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, which currently has a 5% stake in Carnival. And it comes less than a week after the cruise operator raised about a billion dollars in debt at a yield of 10%, which did raise some eyebrows. You'll see shares of Carnival have dropped about 40% in the past three months. Uh, These stock prices can, of course, have an effect on the type of deals that come to market, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. And as as we've discussed several times, uh, these companies have big balance sheet issues based on what they had to do to get through uh, the pandemic. Uh, Steph, what about you? I mean, in terms of uh, maybe some of the hotels or any of the other plays in here? 
Yeah, I wouldn't touch the cruise lines or the airlines, by the way. They both have balance sheet issues. But I do like something like Expedia or Bookings Holdings, where they are sold out. Uh, and they have been for quite a while. But I like Expedia because they actually have a margin recovery story as they cut costs and restructure the company. And then they eventually generate free cash flow. I think Marriott has, has held in remarkably well in, in this downturn. Hilton is an, is an interesting opportunity. I sold that higher a couple of months ago. But it's now down about 18 percent on the year. And they're doing all the right things and they're seeing fee growth. So um, and they have pricing power. So those are the areas that I would focus on less on the on the on the ships and the and the airlines. All right. Our thanks to Seema. Now, Steph, as we uh, get toward the close here, you know, the bank stocks have held up. OK, they were up four percent yesterday. They seem like uh, maybe they have some traction. What other uh, thoughts would you pull out of today's action? Yeah, I mean, it is encouraging. The banks have been like the second worst uh, sector year to date. So it was encouraging that people actually listened to what Jamie Dimon had to say, that the economy is quite strong. Brian Moynihan talked strength about the consumer, sort of the CEO of Citigroup. So I think that's definitely a place that you could see catch up trade. Remember, they're so tied to rates. And JP Morgan raised their net interest income numbers yesterday that the whole group is going to have to do the very same thing. Wells Fargo has the most exposure, Bank of America the second. So I still like the banks. That's where I'm overweight, a little bit overweight. Um, I still like healthcare as a more defensive area as well. I, and I remain underweight in technology. Let the dust settle. It's going to take a while for those to recover, I think. Anything to read from uh, the reaction of Meta to the, uh, to the snap news here? It's trying to hold above its lows. Obviously, people have been saying for months uh, that it looks inexpensive. <laughs> Including me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I own sure. it. I have been adding to it. I, I, I kind of think 14 times earnings, the stock is very earnings, not, you know, not price to sales. It's actually very, very cheap. And they have size and scale. They have two to three million daily active users, monthly active users. They grew those numbers uh, sequentially last quarter. They're generating a lot of free cash flow. They have $48 billion in cash, by the way. So I kind of feel like if they can get reels right, and they have to get reels right, but it does sound like they're making some progress, and that's going to be a second half of this year. So I'm staying patient with it. I do think for the long term, this will be a winner. All right, Steph, thank you very much. Uh, as we head toward the close, less than two minutes to go right here. Closing in on the highs of the day here, the uh, advancing versus declining volume still skewed pretty far to the negative side, as often happens when you have an early sell-off. Uh, you got basically two to one declining volume to advancing volume. We did have Treasuries rallying today, yields coming in. That's been a story of the last few weeks. Look at a month-to-date basis. The aggregate bond index has outperformed stocks by about five percentage points. A lot of talk going into month end that this might create a little bit of rotation uh, toward equities out of fixed income just based on monthly rebalancing. J.P. Morgan trying to make that case. And then the volatility index uh, is remains in this frustrating zone right around 30, not showing fresh alarm, but also not collapsing. So we're we're kind of stuck right here around these indecisive levels, I would argue. And as we get into the close, the Dow Jones Industrial Average remains higher just slightly. Uh, some of the more defensive Dow stocks have been uh, leading the way there, including McDonald's and United Health. Amgen, Procter & Gamble have been responsible for it. The S&P 500, I mentioned, has spent four, uh, parts of four of the last nine days underneath the 3,900 level. We have not yet closed under there, not yet closed at a down 20 percent number either. And so that shows you perhaps there's a little bit of traction being attempted there or there's some program buying interest down in that level. But the Nasdaq Composite really has not had very much relief. It's down 2.4 percent on the day. It's on pace to close down more 
more than more than 30 percent from its all-time high, uh, and that would be uh, a fresh low. Not too many 30% declines in history uh, out there. That's it uh, for Closey Bell. Um, I'm going to send it on over to Scott for overtime. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.